0: Well, praise the Lord! I just feel so privileged to be here. I, I, I don't never preach unless I tell a story. I want to tell you a story that it's something like Jimmy Dale would do. I got a lot of energy, even at my age, at forty-five, and uh, I know if I lie, I fry. But but you know, I got up. I'm going to tell you a story, and I'm going to put myself. In this story with my wife, okay? I got up one morning, told Judy, hey, let's go. She said, where are we going? I said, I don't know. She said, what do you mean you don't know? I said, I've been here for four or five days. I'm tired. Let's go do something. But where are we going? I don't know. Get up. We're going to go. She said, you're crazy. That that part, everybody knows. So she got in the car. We took off. We drove about an hour and a half. I pulled into a hotel. and She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm tired. She said, we just got here. I said, I know, but I need a nap. I don't want to fall asleep. She said, you're crazy. I said, I know it. So we went and had an hour and a half sleep. I woke up. I said, let's go. She said, we just got here. I said, I know, but we got to go. She said, Jimmy, what's wrong with you? I said, I've just, I got to do something. So I said, you meet me at at the desk. I'll pay the man. We'll go. So I went down to the lobby. I asked the man how much I owe him. He said, $350. I said, $350, you've got to be kidding. I said, for what? Well, you could have swam on our Olympic pool out there. It's one of the biggest pools you'll find, and it, it's already included in the price. I said, I didn't swim in your stupid pool. Well, you could have. It was there. And you could have played nine holes of golf on our golf course. I said, I didn't play golf on your golf course. Well, you could have. It was there. He said, and you could have had a four-course meal at our restaurant. It's it, it's included in the price. I said, sir, I did not play golf in your golf course. I did not swim in your swimming pool. And I did not eat in your stupid restaurant. He said, well, you could have. It was there. I got so tired of hearing that. It was there. It was there. So I got my checkbook out. I wrote him a check. I handed him a check. I said, see you later. I took about five steps. And he said, come back here. I come back and I said, what's your problem? He said, you're my problem. I said, why am I your problem? He said, I told you $350. I said, that's right. He said, but, 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 but you, you've given me a check for $100. I said, that's right. You see, sir, I have charged you $250 for kissing my wife. He said, I didn't kiss your wife. I said, you could have. She was there. Oh, praise the Lord. (laughs) Jimmy Dell is not my real name. Uh, That's a name RCA Victor gave me when I recorded for them back in the 60s. My real name is, I hate this name, Oscar James Delbridge. I got more trouble in school because my name was Oscar. You know what they did to me? I wish I was an Oscar Mayer wiener. Oh, bro. And I told my mother, I don't like that name. She said, that's your dad's name. He named you after him. I said, he's not a hot dog, but I had to put up with that. But anyway, so when I got to be a recording artist, RCA informed me they changed my name from Jimmy Dale Bridge to Jimmy Dale. Knocked off the bridge, added an L. I said, why you, should I let you do that? Because we're going to pay you $15,000 just for signing your name. I said, well, where, 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 where do I sign? I signed that contract. So I just want you to know where, how far God has brought me. I was born in New Lothrop, Michigan at the age of two. Now, my father had 11 children, so don't get no ideas. He ran over me with a 36 Buick. Not over my leg, over my head. I have a scar right here. goes way up side of my head with an entire of a 36 Buick, slid off and took my head with it. They didn't give me a chance to live. But my dad and my mother and all my brothers were Christians. And that doctor told my dad he will not live till the morning. He'll be dead. And my dad, according to mother, what she told me, he said, Doctor, you're a physician, and I'm going to go to the great physician. And you and God working together, my boy is going to live. He got the preacher out of bed and some board members. They had a prayer meeting for me all night. I was in a coma for three days. That's the longest sleep I've ever had without waking up. And I, I woke up and went home five days later. God completely healed me. The only thing that it did the damage to me was my, it caused me to stutter. and I stuttered something terrible. It also caused me to be very cross-sighted. It did some nerve damage to my eye. And so this eye was 2020. 20. This eye was 2090. This eye, 2020, but it goes all over the world. This eye looks straight ahead, never moves. I mean, I'm telling you, folks, it was embarrassing as a teenager because when I asked a girl out for a date, the girl next to her would accept. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I was a great basketball player. You see, in basketball, they teach you. Watch his eyes. (laughs) On purpose, I'd dribble the ball, cross my eye. He'd go this way, I'd go this way. I played basketball for three years, varsity. I was a, I really liked being a fast softball pitcher. I pitched for about 28 years, fastball, softball. And it was fun to have a guy who's a good hitter and me to look and, you know, I didn't wear glasses in, so I just look at the catcher and i cross my eye and he moves back from the plate <laughs> because I threw a ball pretty fast. I enjoyed sports. I did not enjoy being made fun of. But you know what? That's what kids do. And I think God got me ready to preach to show people I can use anybody who is available. Well, I told God, I'll I'll, I'll preach, but I'm not a theologian. He said, you can't even spell it. And I, I, I know that's true. But anyway, I'll go from the time that we left Michigan and moved to Arizona. I was nine years old. In fact, we moved on my ninth birthday. And we moved to that beautiful, wonderful, gorgeous city of Coolidge, Arizona. Now, when you come from a town of four hundred people—not not, not thousand, four hundred—and come to Coolidge where there's five thousand, we thought we was in a great metropolitan area, brother. It had three stoplights. But that's where I met Duane Eddy. How many of you ever heard of Duane Eddy? Rebel Rouser was his big hit. I played piano on some of his hits, and uh, he was—he came in from New York. I was at getting ready for school. And uh, I had to, the only station we have in Coolidge is KCKY. There's only one station. And uh, so I listened to the radio, and he said, this is a new guy that came here from New York. He moved to Coolidge, Arizona because his dad is the Safeway manager. So I thought, Dwayne Eddy. Well, he was good, so I looked him up at school. I invited him over to play music, and he said, okay. And he came over because my family... They're guitar players, banjo players, mandolin players, bass players, you name it. We can play all kind of instruments. And so after about two times, he said, your family's okay, but I think you and I need to concentrate on just being the two of us. And Jimmy Dell, I want you to play piano. I said, I don't know how to play piano. I play guitar. He said, there are not many men piano players. I want you to play. I said, Dwayne, no, I am not going to do that. He said, I double-dog dare you. You ever been double-dog dared? Nobody double-dog dares me. I got on that piano. I never had a lesson in my life, and I know you're thinking, yeah, it shows. But I'll I'll tell you one thing. I have more fun playing that piano than you do. I don't have to watch those stupid notes. I just play by ear. That's why they're so big, you know, I'm telling you. But, folks... I, I was raised in the church. My dad was killed when I was 10 years old, left mother home with seven boys to raise by herself. Now, that is no fun. I didn't know how I was going to make it, but we all pitched in. I got a job mowing yards and the Courier's paper once a week. I uh, went to uh, mow yards, and half of what I made I give to my mother, and all the other brothers did the same thing. We got along fine. I was raised in the church. But all my life, I did not like myself. Because stuttering and cross eyes. And, and then when I would be singing, I'd be up there acting like an idiot. I, I've always been that way. Somebody said, was you on drugs? I said, no. <laughs> no. No, no, no. When, when I left home at the age of uh, 19... I wanted to go out and see what I could do in the world. And my mother cried like a baby. And she said to me, holding my hand, I won't let go till you promise me that you won't drink and you won't take drugs. I made her that promise but didn't think I could keep it. But I made her that promise. I can tell you after 10 years in show business and nightclubs six nights a week, I've never had a taste of beer. I've never had any drugs in my system because I respected my godly mother. I kept my promise. So when people say, boy, I I saw you one night and you was so high on drugs, you jumped off the stage on the laps of some girls. You was really high. I said, I was. I have never took drugs. They said, how can you act so crazy and be sober? I said, go out and play in the freeway. It happened to you every time. i give you a personality. But you see, folks, I wanted to make something of myself. So Dwayne and I we got acquainted with Lee Hazelwood, who was one of the DJs in Coolidge. William Jennings was a DJ in Coolidge. Lee Hazelwood, you know, he wrote that song for Nancy Sinatra, These Boots Are Made for Walking. He wrote that song for Johnny Cash and his wife called "Going to Jackson." He wrote that song for Dean Martin called "Going to Houston." Houston, Houston, and he, he he's worth millions. But he was our first manager. We even he even wrote two songs that Dwayne Eddy made a record of. I think it sold two copies: one to his mother, one to mine. That's about it. And uh, then I got a, I went to the studio. In those days, over at Rev Records, you could take your band in the studio, do two sides of a 78 record for $5. So $5, I took my band in there, did two songs. They passed that off to Rev Records, which is only a recording company in Arizona. But anyway, I signed that contract, not knowing that they took that song and sent it to New York where RCA Victor heard it. And that's when they called me and asked me to change my name and sing for them. So I was on the same label as Elvis Presley, only he's real rich and I'm still from Coolidge. (laughs) (laughs) Something wrong with that picture, isn't it? But anyway, we was very busy. After a while, uh, country music went out of style and along came Elvis. And I thought, well you can't beat them, join them. So I imitated Elvis Presley. I imitated Jerry E. Lewis. I made more money acting like an idiot than I've ever made in my life. And so I did that for 10 years. Never darkened the doors of a church. I remember my first speech (laughs) Uh, in history. I was a junior, and I had to take history, and my history teacher was my basketball coach. But Everybody had to make a three-minute speech. Now, and I told him, I, 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 I just can't do that. He said, you have to do it or I have to flunk you. So I did a lot of research. My favorite hero was Sergeant York of World War I. Remember that name? Sergeant York. And I got up to give my speech, and I saw all these people like you looking at me. And, boy, did I get nervous. And I... I said, I want to give a talk on Sergeant, 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 and my coat said, sold to America. And I sit down. That embarrassed me so bad, but he gave me a three for trying. In case you're wondering, one, two, three, four, five is A, B, C, D, E. So I got a C on my report, and all I did was spit. I, I remember I did a show out here in uh, Riverside Ballroom. I got off to of doing a show, and this guy walked up to me. He was the weirdest guy I ever saw in my life. Real long hair, earrings down to his shoulders, and, and one coming out of his nose. And he walked up to me, and he was just going like this. Well, when he'd do that, he'd hit that bell. I mean, so we would go ding, 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 ding. I mean, this guy was dingy. I ain't telling you. And so he came up and we said, hey, man, ding, ding. You got any grass? Now, now, folks, keep in mind, I was raised in Coolidge. I, I never heard the word grass except in the front yard. So I said to him, no, I don't have any on I me, mean, but you, you go out the back door, there's a whole yard full of it. He said, no, 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 no man, ding, ding. I mean, pot." Oh, I said, second door to your left, right over there. He said, no, 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 man. I mean marijuana. I said, oh, no, no. I knew what that was. I said, no, no, sir. I don't use that stuff. He said, hey, man, ding, ding. You got to have something on you to have all the fun you're having. Ding, ding. And I looked at him right in the eye, and I said, well, I had a Buick on me once. And he said, you're weird. And he walked off. A lot of funny things happened to me, but you know what? When God called me to preach, I turned him down because I was going with Judy. Judy was a great dancer. Judy was not a Protestant. I think she was a heathen, but she was something, but she was not a Protestant. I dated her for about six months. I took her home to meet my family. That was a mistake because my family sat around the table Boy, wasn't that a great sermon? I mean, that preacher can preach, man. Oh, and the Sunday school teacher, what a marvelous job. Did you hear that choir? Oh, they sang like angels. And my wife would get nervous. She punches me and said, let's go have a cigarette. Now, I did smoke for about 10 years, three packs a day. But most of the time, a whole pack would be burnt on the ashtray as you're entertaining. But... So we went and dragged Maine. You ever dragged Maine in a small town? You ever do that? Coolidge says, half mile this way, half mile this way, half mile this way, half mile this way. It's not hard to find your friends. There's an A and W and a Dairy Queen. That's where everybody's at. And so we dragged Maine, and she finally informed me, I can't marry you. I said, What do you mean you can't marry me? She said, Your family, they're nuts. I said, what do you mean they're nuts? I said, they're Christians. She said, well, I'm a Christian too, but I don't go around saying, oh, how I love God all day long. I said, you're a Christian? She said, yeah. I said, honey, let me tell you something. I know a Christian when I see one, and you ain't no Christian. I lost some points right there, guys. I lost a lot of points. She said, well, I I think I am. I said, you're not a Christian, and neither am I. I'm a backslider. I'm a sinner. I'm on my way to hell, and I, my family is Christians, and I admire them. Well, I'm not. I'm, I am not marrying you till you promise me that you'll never serve God. Now, I want to come down here for a minute. Why would I make that promise? I'll tell you why. When you hang around the wrong people long enough and hear their cussing, hear their swearing, and all their drug talking, it changes who you are. You become like them so you will be of friends and you're like people. I never did cuss in my life until I got in show business. And I'm not going to tell you all the bad things I did because you don't need to hear that because they have been forgiven. They're under their blood. Amen? Amen. And I said, Judy, okay, I'll make that promise. And really, at that time, I was recording for RCA Victor. I was traveling with people like Johnny Cash, Willie Nelson, William Jennings, the Everly Brothers, Paul Anka, Fabian, uh, Jackie Wilson. Remember that song, Lonely Teardrops? Jackie Wilson, Clyde McFadde,r Sam Cooke. I was making more money than I ever made in my life. So I thought, well, you know, okay, I'll make that promise. And I did make that promise. We got married February 21st, 1964. We just celebrated just a month or so ago our 55th anniversary. And somebody, thank you. Somebody said to me, how can you and your wife be so happy? You've been married 55 years. I said, stay away from home. When you're an evangelist, you're on the road, on the road. Fifty-five years, I've been, uh, 52 years, I've been an evangelist. And God's kept me busy for 52 years. So if you come to church some Sunday and don't see me, if I'm not here, I'm preaching someplace else. So I just want you to know that. So I made her that promise. And I was working at Ghetto Brothers. Remember where Ghetto Brothers Air Condition used to be on 20th Street in uh, Indian School? We had the largest air conditioning company residential in the world. And I, was, I worked there for 16 years. So after I made her that promise and we got married, six months later, I'm walking or driving down the road with a truckload of air conditioners going to Carefree, Arizona. I have not been in church for 10 years. And I was singing this rock and roll song that I had to learn to do on a TV show that night. At that time, I was on TV four times a week. Channel 3, Channel 5, Channel 10, Channel 12. I was on four times a week. So I was memorizing this song. And all of a sudden, Amazing grace, How sweet the sound That saved a wrench like me I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And the old tears are coming down my cheeks. And they teach you in show business, don't let anybody see you cry. It's a sign of weakness. So when I slapped my face and wiped my eyes, I said, what's the matter with me? And I went back concentrating on those words for that TV show that night. I just got started. And all of a sudden... Amazing grace. That's as far as I got. I started crying like a baby. I couldn't see the highway. I pulled that semi-truck off of the side and sat there, and my first thought was, because I was shaking, I'm having a nervous breakdown. I've earned it. I've worked for it. I'm going to have one. I mean, I I, I did the, I, I did my nightclubs my nightclub from 9 to 1, we go out to eat till 3, go home, get up at 5.30, go to work at Ghetto Brothers. I did that for years. I thought, I'm having a nervous breakdown. And all of a sudden, now, now you can say what you want to about Jimmy Dale, but this is why I'm preaching today. Somebody opened the other door of that truck. Not, not, not literally, but somebody got in and sat beside me. Guess who it was? The Holy Spirit of God. And he began to talk to me. He said, Jimmy, I've been patient with you for ten years. Your family has faithfully prayed for you. And to tell you the truth, I'm just a little bit tired of all your rejection, using my name in vain as your favorite cuss word. I don't want to do it here anymore. And I said. And I knew, being raised in a church like you, I knew God was talking to me. And I said, well, God, what do you want me to do? I want your life. And I can tell you as sure as I'm looking you in the face. I said, God, I can't do that. I already promised my wife that I would not be saved. And if I get saved, she's going to divorce me. And you don't like divorces. Boy, I had him there. You know what he said? He said, you give me your life. I'll take care of Judy. I said, God, give me some time. I don't know if I could do this. At that time, folks, I was at the highlight of my life as far as income goes. So I said, give me a, give me a couple of days. Well, I knew my brother was coming home from Washington. He got more energy than I do and he'd not been hit by no truck so I don't know what the problem is but anyway he was going to preach so I asked my wife he's here on vacation and he's going to preach Sunday night would you would you come with me and let's go I never heard him preach before she said well don't get no ideas I said okay we went down there to hear him preach it was the dumbest sermon I ever heard in my life What sin wants to do to you. How they gawed Samson's eyes out. I thought dear Jesus. He's getting gory. So I sat there and I said. If he thinks I'm going to the altar. He's crazy. But the altar call came. Just as I am. I sat there. Didn't move. Verse 2. I'm not lying to you. Jesus come walking down that middle aisle. And he just Coincidentally, you know, or on purpose, or maybe just didn't mean to do it, he stopped right where I was sitting. Like this guy with the white shirt, I'm sitting in the second row. Jimmy, today, not tomorrow, not next week. Today is your day of salvation. Boy, I hung onto that seat. And I didn't know what to do. And my wife, you know, she was as nervous as a a wet hen. She looked at me, and she saw the tears in my eyes, and she grabbed my hand and said, don't get any stupid ideas. She had such a nice attitude, you know. (laughs) I said, okay. And all of a sudden, I took her hand, and I knew what I had to do. I pulled her hand off of mine, She said, you go to that altar and I'll leave you so fast make your head swim. And I remember looking at her and said, Judy, I'm making more money than I ever made in my life. I'm pretty well popular around here so everybody knows who Jimmy Dale is. And I'm not happy. And I know a man who can make me happy. You do what you have to do. I got to get saved or I'm going to go to hell. She just looked at me. I made my way to the altar. Preacher, I thought I'd be at that altar at least for a week of all the sins I did. But I didn't. I just had to say, Jesus, I'm so sorry. Can you forgive me? Just like that. I didn't have to beg, I didn't have to offer him money. He just said, Give me your life, I'll do something with it. I got saved. On the way home, my wife had a cigarette and offered me one. I said, no. She said, what do you mean no? I said, I just got saved. Does that mean you're not going to smoke anymore? I said, that's right. You're going to quit cold turkey? Yeah, that's right. Well, who's going to buy me my cigarettes? I said, I guess you're going to have to find a job. (laughs) That didn't go over too good either. She said, well, who's going to buy me my booze? Keep working, honey. She said, you mean, she said, you're worthless. I mean, I was her. I made her a promise, and I broke it. That's not right. But when it, when it involves God, it is right. So for three years, I never told her she couldn't go to the bars. She had a girlfriend and a husband that I knew well, and I, I trusted them. They'd take her to the bars, and I'd go to church on Wednesday, and Sunday. They'd go to the bars. I'd go to church. Three years, I went to church, and she went to the bars. And I was going to, you know, let her know how the cow ate the cabbage. And God said to me, keep your mouth shut. You don't force religion down nobody. You show her Jesus like I've showed you who you are in Christ. You pray for her, Jimmy. And this is the honest God truth. One night, 11 o'clock, she I heard the key that the door opened. She never comes home till one when the bar closes. She came home, and I thought, oh, dear Jesus, I just got through praying. She walked into the bedroom, turned the light on, and she said, Jimmy! I said, what? Have you been praying again? I said, well, yeah, I have. Why? Well, would you stop it? The music stinks. The guy stinks. Everything stinks. Now stop it! Don't tell me God can't answer prayer. And i tell you what, from that day, I knew god is working on her remember that song he's still working on me to make me what i ought to be and i tell you what three years later judy gave her heart to jesus god never called me to preach until i got judy or god got judy saved and then he called me to preach And I was so sure. Now, folks, I'm going to brag on God here. I'm so sure I wasn't supposed to be an evangelist. Because, you know, I know your pastor, if he's from Arkansas, he's pretty country. And so am I from Coolidge. We're country. But I'm going to tell you something. My wife is the greatest evangelist wife I've ever met. She never complains about me being gone. The problem is I think she enjoys me being gone. (laughs) But you know what? She said, honey, I wish you could be more dignified, but I know you can't spell it. But she said, when I go to the revivals and see what God's doing, God bless you for being Jimmy Dale and not letting me try to change you. Let me tell you something. God wants you to be who you are. You don't need to be try to be something else or like somebody you know. Be who God made. He made you special. And you need to be special. But why is it? We come to church every Sunday, but we never use the altar because, oh, somebody might think I'm a bad person. When you are more concerned about what people think than God thinks, you already have a problem. And I want to tell you something. This altar is not just for sinners. It's a refilling station for we Christians. You fight the devil every day. You You need to come to the altar and ask God for some more power, courage. And when I got saved and called to preach, I told God I can't do it. You know what God said? I don't call anybody to do anything without first giving them the power and the ability to do it. God wants you to be a better Christian you come to church on sunday but the question is what kind of a christian are you monday through saturday and how do you get to know somebody if you don't spend time with them since i've been doing my bible study for the last 10 years i asked judy if you let me have an hour and a half with god i'll do anything you want me to do But let me have my time with God. I was so sure I wasn't supposed to be an evangelist that I said to God, I am not writing letters to a church. Would you let me come to your church and do my honky-tonk music? I, I, I couldn't do that. I said, God, I'm not doing that. If I'm supposed to be an evangelist, then you book me. I have not written a letter or made a phone call and 52 years. And for 48 out of 52 years, I was booked three years in advance, 45 weeks a year, and I never wrote a letter. Don't tell me if God calls you to do something, he can't help you to get it done. He called me to be a evangelist. I'm a I could never pastor. You'd vote me out in two days. Because I'm going to tell you the truth these pastors have to live with you. I don't have to live with you. I can hit you and run. The problem is today in the Nazarene church, we got too many people that are so lukewarm. You won't come to this altar and bow your knee. I hit these altars, not just maybe here, but everywhere I go quite often because I can't do anything without him. And neither can you. And you tell me you love God. It's like the woman I came back from Ireland from a vacation last year, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hurry. She wanted to know if she could talk to me. So she's sitting by the window. I'm in the aisle. My wife and my sister in law are four seats back. And she started telling me how her husband beat her up and gave her black eyes and knocked a tooth out. So she divorced him. And then she told me now she's got a nice boyfriend. They've been together for two years. They, they love God. They go to church every Sunday. And she said, and we really enjoy being a Christian. I said, ma'am, can I stop you right there? She said, yes. But did I say something wrong? I said, yes, you did. You see, ma'am, you're telling me you're going to church and loving God and living with a man without being married. That's fortification. It's almost like adultery. Well, she said, "Everybody's doing it." I said, "That don't make it right." And here's the thing that hit me right between the eyes. Well, let me tell you something, preacher man. If what I'm doing is so wrong, then how come I don't hear it from the pulpit? I said, "Ma'am, that's not the pastor's job. That's the evangelist's job." We need to do that because how are they going to hear it? If they don't hear it from the evangelist, they can tell them the truth and leave. I got home two days later, and God woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know what he said? You remember what that lady said to you? Yes, sir. You're guilty. I said, God, people don't want to hear that. They'll get mad at me. How are they going to know about God and about Christianity like that woman if they don't hear it from the pulpit? And God said, I want you to start preaching on hell. I want you to start preaching on carnality. I want you to start preaching on people who love God, but they are God because they're doing what they want to do. They're not doing what God wants you to do. And that's where we are today in the church. I'll come to church, but man, don't offend me. Tell me how wonderful I am, and I'll keep coming. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If God's not first in your life, you're breaking one of the Ten Commandments because you're serving some other God, which is you. I come to the altar a lot because I am a Christian. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. God said, if you love me, then why are you ashamed to come to the altar and pray and ask for help? I died for you, and you're ashamed to come to the altar and pray? Because you do have problems. We all have problems. We're fighting the devil. He's a liar. He'll tell you how wonderful you are. Just don't get too serious about God. Well, I believe God's doing something in this church, and I mean big time. And I can't wait to hear this man preach again, or Ellie, or anybody who's going to preach, Pastor Dan. I'll tell you what, they feed me. But I want to ask you something. I want to close. Where are you this morning spiritually? Okay, you come to church. So is the devil. He's here more than you are. He's in church. Every time the church doors are open, he's a troublemaker. He'll cause you to gossip about people. We all have kinds of problems, but I want to know something. I want to know what kind of church we got here have renovation. We You got a church that wants to play church or you got a church that wants to be obedient to God. And I'm going to ask you something. If he was to come tonight, 1115 and old Gabriel blows that trumpet well I'll pray then sorry, too late. Some of us need to come and ask God, Lord help me to take me off the throne and put you on it. That's why you're having problems in your marriage. That's why you're having problems financially, because you're first. God is not. Now, you can get mad at me if you want to, but in heaven, you may thank me for telling you the truth. The truth is this church is no better than the people who attend this church. And if you're dead, the church is dead. If you're alive, the church is alive. You are the church. How much of Jesus do you want? I'm going to be like Dwayne Eddy. I'm going to double dog dare you to get up here and ask God to make you a better person. These altars are to make us better. It's a refilling station. You don't have to come here. Well, if I come here, they think I'm a sinner. I'm telling you, like my mother, when she came to the altar in one of my sermons, I said, what are you doing here, mother? You don't need to pray. She put that finger in my face and said, you get something straight, son. I'm not here because I'm a sinner. I'm here because I'm a seeker. It took her about five minutes to come to the altar. She had to grab a pew, take two steps, and <gasps> gasp for breath because she could hardly pr- breathe with emphysema. But here she is, 82 years old, kneeling at the altar saying, Lord, I want to be more like you. I want to love like you. I want to walk like you. I want to talk like you. I want to forgive like you. When's the last time you did that? So let's see what kind of church we really have here. I'm asking you this morning to come and have a little talk with Jesus about something that's bothering you. You're trying to do it yourself. You're better off if you let him do it with you. Hey, 52 years, I know what I'm saying. Stand to your feet and bow your heads. Lord Jesus, I... I love my church. I really do. and I was awake most of the night last night praying. What do I tell them, God? What do I say? Tell them about your experience. Tell them how I got a hold of your life. How, tell them how you quit everything and turn your back on sin. And you've been serving me for all these years, Jimmy Dale. Tell these people, if you want happiness? It starts with you being honest with Jesus about your life. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I don't want nobody singing but Josiah. I want, to add, I want you to do me a favor while you're standing to your feet. I want you to say this prayer to yourself very quietly. Jesus, if I need to pray, would you give me the courage to step out and come and talk to you about something? And as he sings... I'm gonna open the yaller, and I'm expecting some of you to come because we all need more of God. You know it. Sing on, buddy.